you've just met someone and the conversation leads to the inevitable question. So, what do you do? A simple question calls for a simple answer. But what if your answer is never simple? What if your answer defies the societal norms? What does career happiness mean to you? This show dives into convention-breaking career choices, uncovering narratives of working professionals, and creating a space for those who wish to pursue their passions. This is So What Do You Do? Hey guys! Welcome to So What Do You Do? Today in the studio, we have Corey Mascara. So Corey, what do you do? <laughs> hey, um, I am, you could call me a mindfulness meditation teacher. I run the Long Island Center for Mindfulness. So much of my work is in the New York area, um, running retreats, workshops, uh, longer courses, online courses. Um, and I wear a couple other hats. Uh, for the last few years, I've taught mindfulness-based leadership at Columbia Teachers College to principals and school leaders. Uh, and teach positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. So, um, yeah, a lot of different hats, traveling around, speaking, but mindfulness uh, really is the core of my work. Amazing. So just to kind of back it up a little bit, maybe you could tell us a little more about yourself and your background? Sure. Well, I think when many people think of a mindfulness teacher or a meditation teacher, they usually think that person's kind of a hippie or very spiritual or burns incense. Uh <laughs> I had a different path getting into it. I was trying to impress my hippie girlfriend in college. She was in a meditation. I wanted her to think I was cool, so I started meditating. She broke up with me two weeks later. <laughs> I know, it's so sad. But it's not that sad because um, there was a different happy ending that came out of it, which is that I took the meditation more seriously once <laughs> once we broke up because I was sad and, uh, and stressed. And that's really where it started. I, I made this New Year's resolution when I was 19. I'm uh, almost 30 now, that I was going to meditate three times a week for 15 minutes very quickly my sleep improved I went from waking up 30 times a night to only like a couple times a night my focus improved in class and I just started developing from the inside out this this new kind of happiness that wasn't so dependent on external variables which was very compelling to me so uh, I was an economics major kind of shift that shifted that path got more interested in psychology well-being and um uh, by the time I graduated, I went over to Southeast Asia and, and Burma and uh, spent some time living as a monk, which I'm happy to get more into. Uh, but that's like some of the, the journey that uh, led me up to what I'm doing now. Awesome. That's so interesting. <laughs> and something we always ask all of our guests is, what are three adjectives that you would use to describe yourself? Good question. <laughs> I never get that question. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Uh Creativity is one of my top strengths. So I would say creator, seeker. I'm always looking for new ways to do things and uh, definitely a seeker of wisdom. I want to say explorer, but that sounds a lot like seeker. <laughs> Maybe maverick. No, that sounds kind of arrogant. <laughs> let's just go with creator, seeker, pioneer, let's say. Yeah, yeah that sounds arrogant too. <laughs> no, no, we love that. Okay. So maybe can you explain a little more about uh, just the concepts of mindfulness, positive psychology, um, especially for those who are um, unfamiliar with these types of terms? Sure. So uh, mindfulness is a in many ways it's it's your birthright, right? It's this quality of awareness that 
we have with us all the time that we're often just so disconnected from. Uh, so many of us live our lives on automatic pilot, caught up in our thoughts, caught up in our emotions, caught up in our reactivities. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness is a, a quality of awareness that allows us to sort of watch what is happening without being sucked into what is happening. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever had a moment of kind of like catching yourself in a negative thought process, right? Some A lot of times when that thought process comes up of like, you know, I'm an idiot. Why did I do this wrong? Or, or, or even a positive thought process of like, I'm the best thing since sliced rye bread, right? So every once in a while, I think we like, we catch that narrative in the mind and it's like, oh, who is doing that thinking? Like, where is that coming from? That the awareness that is able to watch that and not be caught up in that is the thing that we're cultivating in mindfulness. So one of the reasons I think it's becoming so powerful and important and popular in the world right now is just we're we're so disconnected from it. It's so easy to get caught in the automaticity of, of our lives that we burn ourselves out, we're stressed, we're overwhelmed by our thoughts, and there's something that seems to be very compelling to our culture around like just this ability to watch all of this happening without getting sucked into it. So meditation, although there are many different forms of meditation, the one that I teach of mindfulness meditation really helps us cultivate that awareness so that we're not sucked in the the river of our lives. So what do I mean by that? If you imagine like the stream of your life as a river going down a mountain, right? we could be caught in the river, getting thrown into the rocks, the white water, the bank, or we could be sitting on the river, kind of watching it go by. Same river, same you, different relationship, very different experience. And some people go, well, you know, I don't want to be on the bank of the river. Like, I want to be in the river. I want I want the juice, the, you know, the aliveness of it. So maybe there's another way we could frame it, which which is like we're learning how to kayak so that we're not being tossed around aimlessly. We're moving more fluidly with life. And mindfulness uh, really helps us connect to that capacity. Awesome. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's just like the start of the interview and I'm already so inspired. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. And as a mindfulness instructor, what does your day-to-day job look like? Yeah, um, a lot of different things. So for the last year and a half, almost two years, I've just been writing a book. And so those days looked like waking up at 4 a.m. and just writing for 16 hours. Oh, that was a really, that was a big process. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what much of the last year and a half looked like. But it's not a nine to five thing for me. Some days I'm on planes going to speaking engagements for companies or uh, school systems. Mm-hmm. Some days I'm running retreats. So, uh, you know, next week I have a, a retreat that I'm running and that will be like a three-day immersion uh, on Long Island, and we really just take a deep dive into these practices. Mm-hmm. Some days it's uh, it's kind of boring, and I'm taking care of emails and working on website stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's kind of like the entrepreneurial endeavor. Uh, it it shifts day to day, but I love it, and I love the flexibility and the freedom that I have with it. Cool, that's great. Yeah, yeah um, I know you mentioned this a little bit, but to go back into your background, you majored actually in economics, and yeah. we'd love to know just um, how that shift happened, how you decided that wasn't maybe something you wanted to do as a career path, and mm-hmm. how you shifted from that into mindfulness. When I was growing up, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I, I thought I wanted to be an inventor, and then I was like, okay, maybe a business person is can help do that as well. So I majored in managerial economics, and then I started getting more interested in finance, thinking maybe I'll work on Wall Street, which is crazy for me to think about now. But what happened is we took this trip to the New York Stock Exchange, my, I think it was my sophomore or junior year, and we met with this big wig hedge fund manager, and everyone said, this is a guy you want to meet. 
this is where you want to get. This is who you want to learn from. Mm -hmm. So we were excited. It was about 30 of us from the econ department. And we go there and this guy comes in wearing like a $10,000 suit, pulls up his slides, gives a two-hour PowerPoint presentation, and it just sucked my soul right out of my body. And I remember thinking, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I know for sure I do not want to end up like this guy. There was just like a visceral repulsion. And to be fair to him, I have no idea what's going on in his life. Uh, and certainly not saying all people in finance are miserable, because I know a ton of people in that world that are very content. Uh, but for whatever reason, had that experience and then started asking myself, well, if that's not what I want, like if I don't want to end up like that, what is it that I want? And every response kept being reduced to, I, I want to be happy. I want to be more fulfilled. And um, I think a lot of people come to that recognition and f for whatever reason, uh, the stars aligned in a particular way that I just said, you know, before I make some big decisions, let me first understand what does it even mean to be fulfilled? What does happiness even look like? Are there people that are studying this? And can I first go deeper into my understanding of that and then kind of craft a life around that? And since meditation was this thing that I was already doing and starting to feel a shift, that became more of my access point. And my dad, who's a physician on Long Island and was getting frustrated with the direction healthcare was going in, he just happened to be doing self-study in mindfulness and positive psychology and said, you know, if this is something you want to explore, you can, and you could do it from the scientific perspective. So um, that was kind of my, my entry point and then, you know, never yeah. looked back. Yeah. Cool. And what does the research for happiness kind of entail? What do you look for and how do you find it? Yeah, uh, great question. So, I mean, I'm not a uh, I'm not a happiness researcher. I hang out with a lot of those researchers, and um, it's very broad. So there are, there are a lot of different measures that we're using to evaluate. Like, if you were to think, or anyone listening, like if you were to think, like, how would I measure happiness? What would what would you look at? Would it be the amount of positive emotion you have? Would it be the connections you have in your life? Would it be like how engaged you are with your work? Would it be um, a sense of meaning or spirituality, like you very quickly see like this becomes a, a really complex thing. Even people that endure a lot of pain could report like being deeply fulfilled or happy if that pain has a sense of purpose or meaning. Mm -hmm. So it's still a tough thing for us to evaluate, but uh, certain measures like subjective well-being um, keep it pretty simple and uh, you get to evaluate for yourself your sense of well-being in each moment and, and more or less like use that as a metric. For me, you know, I'm still kind of defining what happiness is, but what I continue to look for in my life is just like this cultivating a quality of mind that's just able to let go and relax into the moment a little bit more. And when I say the word relax, that has a lot of different connotations for people. I don't just mean like relax and like let it all be okay. Not not so much that, but more like less of this constantly trying to manufacture the moment to be exactly as we want it to be. Because so much of the tension that is created for us is trying to arrange all the puzzle pieces in our life so that the picture looks perfect. Mm -hmm. And we often exhaust ourselves in the process, right? The, the family dynamics, the friendships, when I have the right job, when I have the right money, when I have the kids, when the kids move out, right? It's like when it all comes together, then I can be happy. And you know, most of us are on that pursuit and often end up kind of empty-handed. It's like climbing this ladder with an infinite number of rungs, thinking once I get there, then I'll get it. And then, wait, we get there. It's not quite it. We reach for another one. And so when I say like relaxing into the moment, deep fulfillment, in my opinion, is not something we chase. It's something we learn to settle into. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's here and, and we can uncover it when we cultivate our mind in a particular way. So that's more like what I'm working with and what I'm helping people cultivate as well. 
Well, I think that's so interesting because, you know, a lot of things that happen to us are external and we can't control that. So if we keep trying to manufacture that in a certain way, it'll drive us crazy. But like what's within us and like what we can do is like where the growth can happen. Yes. I think is really awesome. Um, But to speak a little more to, I know you mentioned you were a monk for a while. (laughs) I would love to know more about that experience, maybe challenges you faced during that time and what you took away from that. Oh boy. How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, so that experience, that was a, it was a six and a half month silent meditation retreat. So uh, from early or late November of 2012 until uh, May or June 2013, I was I was on retreat and it was 14 hours a day of meditation practice, waking up at 3 a.m., go to bed around 10 p.m. So sleeping no more than five hours a night, often less. We're eating two small meals a day at 5.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. So we're fasting for most of the day. Uh, there's no reading, no writing, no listening to music, no speaking, no contact with the outside world. And um, so it was a, a traditional monastic experience. And I didn't have any intentions of becoming a monk. I was going there to just go on retreat. And one of the monks, when I was there, I, I was having tea one day at the at the edge of the meditation hall. He came up to me, sort of like pulled on my shirt. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? Is this a trick? Like, you're not supposed to talk. And he whispered, he said, uh, where are you from? I said, I'm from New York, uh, the U.S. And he said, oh, I'm from, I'm from, I think he said Prague. I'm from uh, the Czech Republic. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then he says, you should become a monk. And I said, I think I said, I don't think my mom would be very happy about that. Because my idea of a monk is like, you become a monk for life. And, and he explained to me, you could do a temporary ordination. And so, uh, so I made a request shortly after that, it was like to take robes, which means you shave your head and you have all these different uh, precepts, rules that you follow. Uh, you can't touch money. I mean, in the monastery, you, you, money has no value anyway. But like, I had to give all my clothes away uh, and just all these things. And so, yeah, I ordained as a monk for that period of time. Yeah, the whole process was extremely difficult. I know for some people, the idea of like going away for six months in silence and no kids or no chaos or no traffic in New York City since we're here, <laughs> that sounds like a vacation. And in some sense, it it could be perceived as that, but it's the most difficult vacation you could imagine because what you're doing is turning your awareness toward yourself. You're, you're dropping in more deeply into the moment. And there are often a lot of reasons why we've turned away from the moment. Uh, the present moment can be quite intense, especially when we direct that attention to ourselves. There's often stressors that have been unresolved, traumas that we haven't integrated, pains, griefs, insecurities. And these things accumulate over the course of a lifetime. And much of how we navigate them is just like, oop, can't look at that. So we suppress it, we turn our attention away, and we continue on. But what that often leads to is just this compartmentalization of ourselves where we we limit the full expression of ourselves and limit our sense of wholeness. Because in order to get by, we just have to like shut down parts of ourselves, the parts of us that feel stress or overwhelm or fear. And so in meditation, there's this invitation to um, actually open to all of that, to embrace all of it and to make space for all of it and make peace with it. And the early stages of that are very difficult and can be painful. Um, for me, I went through a lot of physical pain early on. I uh, thought I was going to leave after uh, the first week. My my back just developed this sheet of pain from the top of my neck all the way down to the base of my spine from meditating long hours a day and sleeping on very thin mattresses. And one of the first insights that came up for me was just seeing that 
there was the physical pain, but every time the physical pain would arise, it would trigger these thoughts. And the thoughts were like, I can't do this. This is awful. I need to leave. I got to get out of here. And then when those thoughts would arise, they would trigger emotions like anger, doubt, fear, loneliness. And then the coolest thing was seeing that when those emotions would arise, they would actually make the physical pain worse. So I saw this insidious mental loop where the pain would arise, it would trigger the thoughts, the thoughts would trigger the emotions, and then it would make the pain worse. What it showed me is that there are like two forms of pain. There's primary pain, which is, you know, in that case, the physical pain. But this refers to any pain in life that we can't control. The loss of a loved one, a breakup, an illness that arises. The, the primary pains are inevitable in life. We're all going to experience them. The, the secondary pain, though, is often the thoughts and the emotions that we cake on top of it. The, why me? Why did God do this to me? I'm not going to be able to do this. I, I, I can't go on without this person. That's adding another layer of suffering that we don't actually have to indulge in uh, or be subject to. And a big part of the practice of mindfulness, meditation, and presence is actually learning to see how we create that in each moment and actually step out of it. And sometimes it's just giving ourselves the space to feel the primary pain. We don't use mindfulness to make the primary pain go away because life is inherently hard. It's going to be there. But what it can do is help us open up to it, to hold it, to befriend it, to kind of cradle it like a parent might might hold their child in a compassionate way. And that allows us to integrate the, the pain and move through it and not be so burdened and overwhelmed by it. Wow, yeah. yeah. I feel like that's one of the many insights that you learned from that experience that you've applied as a mindfulness instructor. Yeah. But do you think that now it's getting more traction, the concept of mindfulness, and do you think the industry is getting more widespread? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. 100%. I mean, I came into it, uh, there are a lot of people that laid the, the groundwork for this long before I came to what we're doing. Uh, so there was transcendental meditation in the 60s and 70s that became popular. Mm-hmm. John Kabat-Zinn, who uh, really is considered like the grandfather of mindfulness in the West, uh, especially Western medicine. He started in like 1979 with the stress reduction clinic at UMass. And this was when like meditation was, was taboo, especially in academia medicine. He was an MIT trained biologist. So a lot has shifted over the last decades. And when I came into this around 2010, 2011, uh, a lot of that science was already there. But then in 2014, which is uh, a couple years after I really started teaching, Time Magazine came out with a big article on mindfulness. And that really seemed to, to be the beginning of this huge wave of, of interest in mindfulness. And even with that, now, there's still a ton of people that don't know about this. And when I go into corporations, especially when I'm speaking to executives, um, like, hardly any of them know about it. So it, although it's, it's growing in a big way, it still has a long way to go. Um, but people do seem to be increasingly compelled by the idea, especially with the science supporting it. Mm-hmm. And to kind of speak to how it's kind of ballooning more into society, I just kind of want to know that as of you know now, are there any misconceptions still or stigmas against or you know for mindfulness? Sure, yeah, a ton. The most common one is that it's all about clearing your mind, and I spent about six months doing nothing but meditation, thousands of hours, and probably the longest I went without a thought was maybe like 
48 seconds. <laughs> so, uh, so there's often this idea that the mind is going to be blank. And when it is blank, then I'll reduce my stress. And that's not what mindfulness is, is pointing to. One, thoughts are incredibly important. And it's amazing that we have minds that can think. And we're going to need minds that can think, especially to make intentional changes in the world. What mindfulness is more pointing to is like our relationship to thoughts, our relationship to everything. But uh, with thoughts specifically, it's like so often we're caught in them. And this is just like, okay, can we be aware of when that is happening? And can we use that awareness to redirect our attention to what's most important to us in that moment rather than being swept away? So that's a big, big misconception. And so anyone that's tried meditation is like, I can't clear my mind. Um, it's very, if, if you just did nothing but make the meditation the process of noting or being aware of every time the mind is thinking, that is a beautiful meditation practice and, and just as powerful. So that would be the big one. To speak a little bit more, um, I know you mentioned you do workshops, classes, things like that. Can you talk a little more about what happens in these uh, workshops or retreats or classes? Yeah, yeah. No, it's top secret. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. It depends. So, you know, if I'm doing a keynote for a corporation, uh, that's going to be a, a pretty a basic, broad overview of what mindfulness is, the key elements. I'll usually describe it as mental fitness so that it's not too polarizing for people, like a way to train the brain. The corporate people really like that. And in education, I do that as well. So at that stage, it's more to like demystify it and not um, not make it seem too woo-woo because it's, it's really not. And then I have a three-hour workshop that's a little bit longer, more in-depth. Those people have typically opted in for it, so we go a little bit deeper. Then I do a weekend retreat. And so for that retreat, people will come in on a Friday evening and they'll stay over until Sunday evening. And there we're really going into different practices, sitting meditations, lying down meditations, body scan meditations, uh, gentle yoga practices, mindful eating exercises, and a lot of discussion and conversation and, and sharing. All of this um, to really drop into the depth of, of presence, where we start softening the walls that we put up over the course of a lifetime that keep us from connecting with others and ourselves. And we're also building the inner resources to be able to stand in our lives without having to shut down or disconnect when it becomes too overwhelming or complex, and just simply being able to enjoy and appreciate our lives. So that's um, that's a whole journey and development in itself. And in my five-day retreat, that's the one where it's a little bit more mysterious. Not that it's like a cult-like thing, but we um, that's, I take like 12 of my more serious students and we really go deep in, in that. And yeah, and that changes year to year. Awesome. And for people who have an interest in mindfulness, what would you suggest they do? There's so many apps out there now. So meditation apps are just a great way to get started. Uh, I teach on an app called Simple Habit, and that has about 10, uh, 200 of my meditations and tons of great teachers on that app as well. And all these apps have free versions, whether it's Headspace, Calm, Simple Habit. So I, I would suggest starting there. Mm -hmm. And if there's an interest, um, just Google or YouTube uh, mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And it sounds so basic, but that's kind of what started for me. Like I was getting into this thing, then I started watching YouTube videos. The The exploration is, is endless. And then really to make sure you're doing the practice. Mm -hmm. um, and in my book, Stop Missing Your Life, that will really walk you through these practices. Yeah, I actually just want to ask, so you mentioned that even one minute of meditation is very beneficial. What would that look like in terms of like, if we were to do it right here, right now, like what is a one minute meditation look like? Yeah, it would typically look like uh, the eyes could be closed or they could be open. And 
you know, the attention is usually scattered outwardly in all these different directions. So in this practice, we would be turning that attention more inward and focusing specifically on the breath. So for people first starting out, I often have them just place one hand on their belly so that they can feel the breath more vividly. And then as you're doing that, you're going to feel that, okay, you take an inhale, the belly expands, and then the belly deflates. And you're just very simply following that rhythm, feeling the full inhale, feeling the full exhale. The mind will often wander. will start thinking about, like, I really want a cookie right now, or this is weird, or, you know, I should tell my friends about meditation. So all of it will want to go outward again often, or, like, be judgmental thoughts. Am I doing this right? And whatever the thought is, you just watch it like a cloud passing through the sky. It's like, oh, just a thought. And then redirect the attention back to the breath. Mind wanders again, you bring it back. Mind wanders again, you bring it back. It's like a bicep curl for the brain, right? The weight pulls the arm down, we pull it up, pulls it down, pull it up. Mind wanders, we bring it back. And you just do that for the course of a minute. So that's that's the most basic way you could do it. Others, it might just be like taking a minute to tune in. It's like, Hey, Corey, how are you doing? Like, it's been a busy day. Do you need anything right now? Uh, that's a beautiful practice of self-care and just checking in with yourself. If you did that one minute a day, like, whew, what a relationship you would start to develop with yourself. And it's so easy to disconnect from ourselves. So it can take a lot of different forms. But for those just starting out, I'd say that, you know, mind wanders, come back to the breath, make that your anchor point uh, and for stabilizing the mind in the present. Wow, amazing. I also must say that I do listen to your app. It has helped a lot, so thank you for that. Um, And what would you say is the highlight of your career? Making it through six months of uh, in the monastery felt like a big accomplishment. And then a year later, getting called up by the Dr. Oz show was like a different kind of achievement. I was like, how do they even, who do, how do they even know who I am? Uh, uh, so that was, that was a thing. And then right now, I, I'd really say putting this book together, it this book has stretched me into corners of my mind, my heart, my humanness that I have just not been before, even all this time, all that time in the monastery. And I'm so proud of what has come out of it and what I can now offer the world. So, so that feels like the biggest thing for me. This is also something we like to ask a lot of our guests, but what would you define as career happiness? I don't think about that question too much, uh, but it, it is a good question. And you know, the reason I hesitate with this is because a lot of times I think when we talk about like being happy in your career, there's there's this popular notion that like you need to be doing work that you absolutely love, that feels totally meaningful, and like you kind of crafted it, and it's totally aligned with your values. And um, that's one way to do it, and that's a beautiful way to do it if you can do it that way. But uh, for many of us, it's like a job is a job, and I go through it for my eight hours a day, and then I come home and I have the other areas that are meaningful to me. And I think, you know, that could be a form of career happiness as well, even if it's not maybe something like I'm doing, where like my work is so deeply my passion. So I think having a relationship to your your job or your work or your career that just feels integrated and aligned with the lifestyle that you want to live. It might not bring you the ultimate joy, and that's okay. Maybe other things in your life bring you that joy, or it may bring you that ultimate joy. But sometimes that happens, and then other parts of our life take a hit as well. So it's always like this balance and checking in of just, how do I want to be in the world? Is what I'm doing in alignment with that right now? Is my career in alignment with that right now? And then making these tweaks as much as we can along the way uh, to help kind of fit that that blueprint as much as we can. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people who may be unhappy with their current job now? Mm, yeah. Uh, take some time to sit 
and be still and to really listen and ask yourself, what is it about this that feels unsatisfying right now? Why did I get into this in the first place? What, was I forced to add a necessity? Sometimes it is like that, like we need to make money quickly. Did I get into this because I, I wanted to make my, my parents happy? Was there an idea like I needed to do this kind of job or this kind of work to be loved or to be accepted? And so like, get honest with some of that. And then ask yourself, like, if I were to just kind of scratch all of it, you know, wash it off the table and really build something or, or a dream career, like, what would that look like? And that's not to say, like, you go in that direction, but it might start giving you some insights of what you do want to be doing on a day-to-day basis and then being able to sort of refine in that direction. But I do think it takes a more honest conversation with yourself and that place of stillness and checking in and asking honestly um, becomes a platform for like the next step whatever it might be yeah Mm, that's great Um, we might have covered a little bit of this but as you reflect on your own career journey what do you think it is about uh, your work that is so fulfilling or that brings you happiness actually the main reason I made this a a career path was I just remember in college uh, as I was doing the meditation practice and getting into this and reading about it I was like this is so important to me like this is I want this to be a central part of my life And I knew that I'm kind of a type A personality with a lot of different things. And I have this all or nothing tendency where I get really involved in something. And then like six months later, I'm like, yeah, okay, off to the next thing. And most of that's okay. Like it allows me to go deep into something and then transition. But I I knew in my heart, like, this is not something I want to let go of. And, And how can I, so I asked myself, like, how can I make sure that I don't let go of this? And the, the answer that came up was, well, just make it your career, (laughs) become a teacher of it. Now you're going to be accountable because you want to be able to walk your talk. Uh, And two, it'll just keep you immersed in these teachings and learnings. And so it felt like like if turning it into a career felt like putting up bumpers uh, in the bowling lane that just like always kept me on on track if uh, if my metaphorical bowling ball were to fall into a gutter periodically. And and that happens. Like there there are times where I, I might feel like I'm drifting away from my practice, but uh, immediately come back to it because it's it's the work that I do and I, I'm reminded of, of why it's so important. Mm-hmm. And one of the most fulfilling things you mentioned was the publish of your book. Mm. It's called Stop Missing Your Life, How to Be Deeply Present in an Unpresent World, which is already trending number one. Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, at least in, in meditation and a couple of categories. Yeah, that's so it's cool. doing well. That's Thank you. I'm super excited for the world to experience it. I love the positive feedback it's already getting. And it'll be at all your you know your bookstores uh you can support your local bookstores and you can find it on amazon barnes and noble uh, all those sites as well so if you want to check it out stop missing your life.com or go directly to amazon uh stop missing your life and i also have all of these free resources for people if they you know either don't want the book or you just want to you know start meditating if you were to text your email address to this number uh, you'll get a follow-up email with all of these uh, these resources. So that number is 631-405-4631. So you just text your email address to that number, and there'll be guided meditations, book recommendations, app recommendations, um, and also details about the book if you were interested. So 631-405-4631. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I can't get it. I can't wait to get into that as well. Awesome. So thank you so much, Corey, for sitting down with us and sharing your story. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you both. It was a real joy. 
Welcome to The Debrief, where we discuss our own perspectives on the interview and apply some of our own experiences and background to the conversation. Wow, I love Corey. (laughs) (laughs) It was a really great conversation, a really great way to start the day and just uh, a really great way to kind of refocus my mind, Mm -hmm. I would say. I remember yesterday when we were going to class I bumped into you at the elevator and I was like hey Joe and you were like oh sorry like I couldn't hear you I was like oh what are you listening to and you were like I was just listening to Corey's interview I need something calming to relax myself for the day and I was like yes I think it really just works well that he went into this field of business considering um it, it just seems so right for him I think he embodies a lot of what he talks about and teaches and also he has just kind of a voice and also a mind that is uh it seems in control and at peace um Mm -hmm. those are very complimentary i think in his field so um so yeah like it just comes off as kind of very relaxing and uh, peaceful yeah and he said that one of his adjectives was seeker of wisdom and i think that's very accurate because once you listen to him you really have a shift in perspective of all the worries that you have and i think it's interesting to just look at them from a distance, digest them, and then go about your day normally without this wondering thought and lingering around your head. So what are your takeaways from the interview? I had a lot. I think the first one was just understanding mindfulness on a deeper level. I think I had never actually been told by someone what meditation was, is, how it should act in your life, how it should be integrated within your life, and also how you can seek it out. I think when he talked about meditation being a quality of awareness to watch what's happening in your life without being caught up in what is happening, yeah. um, that this is a state of mind that so many are striving for and the fact that he has kind of formulized it in a way that you can know exactly what you're looking for, put words to it, and you have tangible steps to take it. I think the analogy he used during this part of the interview was a canoe or a kayak where you are able to go through the river that is, you know, bumpy, rocky, mm-hmm. um, and kind of step out of yourself and see what is happening without being totally engulfed in it. So you're still moving along, mm-hmm. um, but at a controlled, peaceful pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I took away to the river metaphor he uses. Um, the idea that we're moving fluidly with life no, life's just going to keep going, but it's up to us whether we want to move calmly and follow the stream or if we want to like hit the rocks, but very harshly. It's in our control and our destiny to sort of understand ourselves and understand that whatever factors will affect us, we need to be in control of them. Not in, in the sense where we're able to be in control of the external factors, but taking the effects of those and then being aware Um, on how to manage them. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think another thing he mentioned was that uh, we may, some people who hear this may Mm -hmm. think like, oh, I want to be swimming in the water. I want to feel it Mm. with my whole body. Um, But he kind of clarified this in saying that meditation shouldn't take away from the experience of life, but kind of add to it and enhance it in some way. Mm -hmm. And I think really for any of the people who are kind of skeptical or against it, I think there is benefit to meditation any way you slice it, any perspective you look at it. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And one thing that really struck out to me the most, and it's something that I deal with and really like gave me an inside perspective based on what Corey said, was the idea that we're always trying to constantly manufacture the moment exactly as we want it to be, like exactly as perfectly as we want it to be. And in a way, this is just so exhausting. I feel like 
I'm such a perfectionist also in a way where I want everything in my life to be exactly perfect. So that's why I constantly worry to make sure that those things are in place. And he mentioned that it's just kind of like an endless ladder and you're pursuing something that is not reachable. It's so interesting to understand that deep fulfillment is something we don't chase, but something that is present and already around us. So if we're calm and we understand these forces around us and not be constantly chasing for a beautiful form of perfection in our lives, I I think it'll make us less stressed and less worried. And that's really something that I need to understand and learn. And uh, I know that with Corey's podcast and his book, it will definitely help me and others who are struggling the same way as well. Yeah, I think part of the beauty is accepting and understanding that things don't always go your way. And Mm -hmm. when you manufacture these good experiences or good emotions, you're actually manipulating your experience in a way that probably lessens the experience or de-enhances the experience. And so I think just the mere fact that you accept and acknowledge that is actually you being much more in tune with joy kind of the understanding that even if you can't manufacture everything to go your way there are some things that you can bring about in yourself yeah and I think another thing that he mentioned that's something that you can control because I think he talked a lot about how people run themselves to the ground they go crazy because they're trying to change circumstances that are life that are just life Mm -hmm that are unchangeable but something that you can kind of work through is understanding pain and how you deal with pain Mm -hmm. and I think he mentioned primary pain and secondary pain and this was during the time that he was a monk so this was a moment where I think he had you know lots of clarity lots of ability to Mm -hmm. think through these things and really be in touch and understand what's happening with his mind and body Mm -hmm. which by the way was just fascinating just fascinating conversation there but I think the lessons that he I I took away from that part of the podcast was just that um, everyone can experience some sort of primary pain and I don't think this has to be physical pain this could be some sort of mental or emotional stress or anguish that you have but in order to work through that it's important to acknowledge and he actually said something that is counterintuitive to what I would think he said to cradle and befriend the pain Mm. and to work with it so that you can get through it instead of denying or rejecting it and that will help you not to have secondary pain which is kind of the pain that occurs when you are thinking about something so much when you're stressed about something and when you um, allow the pain to get the better of you Mm -hmm. and I think um, especially at the point in our lives that we are now we're busy we're just starting off with uh, careers and uh, ambitious dreams that we have and I think it's important to realize that yes these are important things but it's always also important to take care of yourself and to acknowledge when you have the pain so that you can do something about it and not just to push it away, but to really go through it and to almost fully experience it to the point that you're so close to it and intimate with your pain yeah. that you understand where it's coming from, you know what it is, and that will help you to better work through it, I think, was the conclusion that Corey came to. Mm-hmm. I think that's beautifully well put and the thing with primary pain is that it is inevitable so it will happen to us one way or another but the secondary pain is a layer of suffering that we don't need and is unnecessary so if we acknowledge that I think it would be much better to be able to understand this and if we limit and suppress the full feeling of stress and fear which is the primary pain I think that is even worse because it'll bundle up and then 
we'd probably explode one day. And I love how Cory mentioned that the idea of mental well-being is sort of like a gym for your mind. So redirecting the wandering thoughts to the breath, it's kind of like a bicep curl in a way where if you keep going to the gym every day consistently, you'll be able to become stronger and you'll have a better form. And in a way where if you exercise your mind, then you'll have more resilience to the tough challenges that you'll face. And then you'll also be in a healthier state. So there's really like so many benefits to mindfulness and really something that I've probably sort of overlooked before I met Corey. A lot of people have been telling me to listen to all these like mindfulness apps. And then now after talking to him, it's such an eye-opening experience and definitely something that I'll incorporate in my day like no matter how busy my schedule is it is definitely a priority now so thank you Corey for that (laughs) that's great I think I am a bit of a procrastinator so I need to get um on that later or sometimes now um yes or now (laughs) but I think it's interesting that you do talk about the benefit of it because I think um I read recently some articles and I know that Corey mentioned this in the um interview as well that this is gaining traction and one thing that I read about was teachers are starting to do this right before their class starts because it increases actually the focus and attentiveness of the students themselves and I think I would be very grateful for any teacher who did that in my classes because often you're running from one class to another and you're just barely getting there, let alone having a moment. You're so flustered and it's really hard to learn in that type of Mm -hmm. environment. But if you took 60 seconds, which is so little, and sat and just really was present with your students for that minute, that is all it takes. Mm -hmm. I have always firmly believed that there are no easy fixes in life. And I still don't think there are easy fixes. But I do think that the one to five minutes of meditation is some of the easiest uh, quote-unquote fixes in life that you'll get. Just because it is an instant sort of uh, sense of relief and peace. And of course, there are other things in people's lives that can bring that joy and fulfillment also but I think meditation is one that we shouldn't shy away from just because we a don't understand it or b think that it's contrary to certain beliefs that we have or Mm -hmm. something I think it's something that is um universally can be integrated into someone's life regardless of their perspectives or beliefs on the world Mm -hmm. yeah I think I just think he's an interesting case where he does what he likes in his career like fully like he found the thing that was so important to him And he knew as soon as he got into mindfulness that this is something that he couldn't just sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's hard to find. So I think that's my little challenge. I don't know if I always have a challenge from interviewers that we have, but this is kind of my personal challenge to myself to really pinpoint what I find important in my life. So important to the fact that I I can't compromise on it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's just the last thing that I learned. Yeah, and using his platform to help others as well i think that is really inspiring of him to do you know like first of all being so passionate about something that he enjoys but at the same time being able to help others in the same exact way i think is something that we should all really strive in life not just to help ourselves but to help others Um, and if you're doing it with something that you truly enjoy it can be anything really i think that'll make this world a better place and Corey's just one of those people that are doing that so 
for sure yeah we want to thank Corey for joining us in the studio uh, we had such a great time talking to him if you want to find out more about Corey and his work check out his website www.coreymascara.com and check out his new book stop missing your life how to be deeply present in an unpresent world if you want to find out more about this program or listen to previous episodes, check us out on WNYU.org or our Instagram at SWDYD Podcast. If you want to get to know us more, follow us on Instagram at Arnell Ariana and at It's Just Joanna. Thank you so much for tuning into So What Do You Do? I'm Joanna Yamakami. And I'm Arnell Ariana. Join us again next week for another episode. <laughs>